This is Farmer's Inside Track, supported by Food from Zansi. Inspiration for your business and life. From South Africa's farmers and agripreneurs. How's it, Mzanzi? And welcome to our Farmer's Inside Track podcast. Um, we unashamedly salute the unsung heroes of agriculture and we believe in the power of agriculture to create social cohesion. My name is Dawn Numdu and I'm the editor of Food for Mzanzi and with me is Corbus Lawrence, the co-founder of South Africa's leading agricultural lifestyle and news platform. Hi Dawn, I was just looking at our Farmers Inside Track um, Facebook group where we are connecting with more and more um, of our up-and-coming farmers. So anybody who's listening who's into smaller scale farming or aspiring commercial farming in South Africa, be sure to go to the Food from Zanzi Facebook page and to join the Farmers Inside Track group there. So Kubus, we've started this podcast series a few weeks ago and it's been amazing to see all of these farmers who've inspired us and introducing to people that we've come across in our journey at Food from Zanzi as well. And today I'd like to introduce Byron Boyson. He's a vegetable farmer and he also does hydroponics. And he's the MD of Boyson's Tunnel Farming in Cryfontein. Welcome, Byron. Hello, Dawn. Hello, Kubis. Nice to meet you guys. I am Byron Boyson from Cryfontein and I farm with vegetables in that area. Wow, Mom. What did you put on this chicken? Well, I was trying a new recipe using grain-filled chickens. Oh, Mom, this is amazing. You can't go wrong with 100% South African farm-quality chicken. With a range of fresh, frozen and marinated products, make grain-filled chickens your number one choice. Grain-filled chickens from the farms of the Free State. Need we say more? If you want quality, ask for grain-filled chickens at a leading store. Grainfield Chickens, bring home the taste. Visit grainfieldchickens.co.za Welcome back to our episode with Byron Boyson. Um, he's a vegetable farmer in Cryfontein. Byron, you are not from Cryfontein, but you farm there. You grew up in Burgersdorp in the Eastern Cape, where your family always maintained a big garden and you always knew that your food comes from the land. Where did your dream start to farm and where did it all start for you? Initially, in the start of my uh, you know, childhood, I didn't, never thought of being a farmer as such. But I always thought uh, being part of the land and how to grow things was very interesting. It's also bringing people together because it's a source of food. Then later on in life, uh, I found myself at Stellenbosch University where I really worked a lot with the community. I did a lot of community service with Marty's community service by being involved with Kaimandi and food programs in sport programs, which was basically my my main line of uh, being involved with people. And they, after that, I got more involved with people and how I can engage with them. And your parents, uh, them being so close to the soil and always growing, what was that like as a child for you? As a child, uh, it was really, really cool because you could be able to play in the mud, run around, be dirty, come back hungry, eat something. <laughs> So that was very free and liberal time of our lives, a lot of stress-free, obviously. I think all of us can relate to a, a childhood which you feel that you have a bit more freedom, whereas as an adult, you have more responsibilities. What did your parents do? They like full-time farmers? No, not at all. My dad, as a profession, is a, a teacher. Uh, he did not teach in Burgersdorp, though. He was very involved with the community. And that's where I think also my uh, fact that I like to be involved with people, helping them, engaging with them, 
came from. Uh, my mother was always looking after us from very little age until, up until now. So where she looked after us at home and uh, looked after the house, basically. So that was their background. But my dad, as a profession, as our, our path went, was from Cape Town. I was born. Then we went to Pretoria, and uh, where, which I was in primary school. And then my primary school extended in Burgersdorp. Uh, where at the end of my primary school years, I went back to Cape Town again. Mm, so you went from a city kid to a rural boy and back to the city again. But there's this rural boy, you have a relationship with growing food and the soil, and now you end up in sports science at Stellenbosch University. How did that happen? I was always very sport active. I always was involved with those type of things. Even in high school, we had a program, sports science. So I think it became a very clear thing for me to do at the end of the day. And then I went to university and there, the place I actually learned about what I wanted to do was the extracurricular activities I was mm. involved with. Yes, the studies was really engaging and you did your uh, discipline and your ac- academics and so forth. But engaging with uh, the people was really something that took a lot of my time at the end of the day. So I really enjoyed that. And after that, I sought this opportunity to, to farm because when I look back at my, my background, I saw that that was something that I can engage with and also... That's also where there was potential funding available because that was my biggest hurdle. How can I work for myself independently without funds? I can't. So I needed to look at something else a little different. I sought the opportunity and I put all of those little things together. And that's where I am today. How did you become aware of that opportunity? Through my dad. Uh, my dad gave me that information for the Department of Agriculture, which he also saw in the newspaper in terms of media. Uh, he shared the idea and the thought and the thought festered and it grew. And then uh, after designing a business plan and getting the, the land availability, getting access to that uh, means to be able to create this dynamic where we, we can actually start an idea, start it out. And then obviously we approached the Department of Western Cape. What I mean by we is myself, my mother and, and uh, my sister, we created the, the business and then I ran it forward to present it to the Department of Agriculture. So you always knew that you wanted to work for yourself. You didn't want to have anyone passing you around or telling you what to do, but you had this entrepreneurial mind to say, I want to do this. Was it scary? Of course. Yes, it's very daunting because uh, I don't have a background of family necessarily in big business, but we have a family that was also vibrant in small business, not necessarily successful small business that's out today, but we were always engaging to basically like, uh, my father was also very busy with mechanical work. So I knew how service works, for example, to people. So small little things that would contribute to me uh, taking the leap to doing an entrepreneurial venture. You were aided by CASIDRA, if I'm right, the Cape Agency for Sustainable Integrated Development in Rural Areas. Uh, can you tell us a bit more about what they do? CASIDRA is the implementing agent of the Western Cape Department of Agriculture. Now, the Western Cape Department of Agriculture is the, the means of the, the funds. So they give the funding and CASIDRA implements the plan. So there is a board, a source of CARPS funding. Um, there's a board that listens to your profile, listens to your, your business uh, venture. And then from there, it will be approved and then they will implement it. CASIDRA solely does the implementation of whatever your infrastructural needs, your production inputs, and your labor needs for your business. Can you tell us a bit more about your application process? Maybe, because I know there are many people in that position of um, looking for funding, with a, maybe with a big plan. What do you think are the essential steps to take to ensure, to improve your chances of success? There's no hurdle large enough to not get over. You do, however, need these few things and 
these are, I think, prime basics. You need availability to land, which is a lease agreement of nine years and 11 months. That is a minimum agreement for vegetable production. In any other sector, it might be a bit longer because of the, the length of the growth that it needs to face the profit. You need to be able to have access to water. Water tests, you need soil tests. You need a good business plan that includes your cash flow. You need your production inputs, your infrastructural needs. If you need a delivery vehicle, if you need uh, the greenhouse structure and all that. You need at least three quotations of each of those things. Uh, you need a sound business plan that can be sold to an executive board. In sense of that, PowerPoint is no normally good for me. And then if you can, you don't need to have a business plan of 50 pages. Uh, you need something that can be read and understood. Do they want you to have like markets and proven market access as part of your plan? Market access? I found it very difficult for myself because you don't have any proof. You don't have any means really to go approach anyone big to say, this is what I'm going to produce. But if you have a letter of intent from a business, it's, it, is, it will be very good in terms of that. If the business is wanting to buy produce from you by market-related prices and quality, they would love to support your venture. A letter in that lines would be good. And also your business must be registered and you need to have your tax clearance certificate uh, from SASH. You know all of this now, Byron, but when you started seven years ago, this information and accessing all of this and knowing all of this obviously wasn't really out there. Where do people go to today if they need that? Besides Farmers Inside Track. <laughs> but also, who supported you along your way? A lot of guidance, obviously, in-house because I was living with my parents at that stage. So that was important. The part of agriculture, when we approached them, certain things need to be in place. A lot of things wasn't in place. Then obviously they would assist us by giving the information what to do. If you do not know where to register your business, uh, that is some information that can be daunting. And especially if you don't have communication or uh, you know how to use the internet or social media, then it's difficult to access those type of things. So uh, having uh, information systems or sources like the Inside Track is very, very useful. And I think basically to be, have access to communications, you need to be able to call someone. Always a number that can give you another number. So, mm -hmm. so that's one but having access to communications is, is key to be able to anyone in, from rural and even in the city to have access to that type of information. Mentorship played a big role in, in your story. Do you have mentors that helped you along? I was very fortunate that I had a lot of great people around me. <laughs> uh, there was a lot of, a lot of people with that, a lot of wisdom, uh, which I took uh, at heart everything that they said from my family to uh, external people that came in and gave me advice. It wasn't always a sense that, uh, you know, people were against you or supportive or whatever, but they were very, very intrigued by what you were doing. And then it was a lot of instances where people are very much supportive. Those people must be celebrating on your path. I think that is good. So there was a lot of mentors. Um, Alfred Borchitz, my landlord now, is very, very um, engaged and supportive. We also have our own land issues there in terms of how people are coming into the land and basically taking land and things like that on the border of the farm. So there are real life issues like that, which we also are engaging in with. And it's interesting because there's a source where people are wanting the land and the other one where we are utilizing the land, uh, basically coming from the same root story. Mm. So those messages are sometimes conflicting, but it, it is out there. We still have good people in uh, which can mentor us and take us on, on the right path. And looking at your operation itself, you know, 
how it's set up, where you started, and also if you can share some advice as to the baby steps that you had to take to where you actually are now. So I'm interested in why you chose hydroponics specifically. The path that I took for that point was because of land availability. I think uh, access to land, I didn't get from the onset 30 hectares that I can now go to the park and do and tell them I need production inputs for this and that to make this business venture work. Uh, I knew that I had a hectare. I knew that planting in soil directly would not give me the yields that I maybe would have wanted. So I sought plan that could give us uh, the business infrastructural access so that we have capital in terms of the, the infrastructure with the greenhouses. And then also uh, growing vertically in hydroponics is makes up for the space. So in tomatoes is a higher value crop in a longer period that you can harvest it. So in terms of cash flow and the immediate beginning, uh, that was the initial idea, which is now much clearer. At the beginning, it is not necessarily so much clear, but it was, it was logical for me. In terms of water, it's a big issue. Um, how did you overcome that in your business, um, accessing that and making sure that you have enough, and especially now with what many farmers are going through? Yes, water was definitely an issue. Uh, we, we are luckily enough in an area where we had access to Tewaterskloof water, uh, which was Kema in that stage. Obviously, Tewaterskloof was under a lot of strain, but uh, we could in the previous season be able to pump water from that scheme to our dams on the farm. The rainwater was obviously very scarce, so we had to adapt. But the means that we are growing in the method that we do it hydroponically is exactly precise water is given to each plant. So you know exactly how much water you need to be able to grow a season. So therefore, um, you could manage your water. And water quality, I saw somewhere that you've had some issues with degrading water quality in your area. That's also something that you must look at because the lower dams become, the more sludge is created. And that also means that pH levels can fluctuate, which normally goes up. It's only a certain amount of pH that your tomatoes, for example, can be successful in. I mean, pH for us is successful from 5.5 to, for us, we'll push it to 7, which is really a good harvest. But 6.5 is, mo- is mostly ideal. Because of the dams, the, the, the fluctuating pH was up into 8 pH, whereas the... The EC of the, the salt is also a problem, which you must, it's electrical conductivity, which is also very high because of uh, decreased water levels. Advice to other young aspiring farmers or agripreneurs. Have you made a, a mistake in your business that you can con- kind of consider your favorite mistake, the mistake that has taught you the most and that has actually had the, ended up having the most beneficial result in your business? I think we all make many mistakes on a daily level, which sometimes are not negative to the business, luckily. Something that we would have wanted to change or something. One thing from the start of the business that I think was, um, because I was so adamant to start the business venture, with the tomatoes and everything, that the timing of the planting wasn't, wasn't perfect. But it turned out that the prices into winter was, was great, which is basically the idea of hydroponics in any way. So we had a lengthy season, which our first season, the area didn't know tomatoes, there was no pest around, the pests were talking to each other and probably saying, what's this new crop? So they weren't <laughs> worrying with that. So I had a great clean harvest with no problems. It ended up having a good yield. So Byron, whenever I say Byron boys and everyone's like, the guy who was on Boer shook a frau. No man. <laughs> Boer Byron, they say Boer Byron. <laughs> so um, how did you get onto that competition and what was it like? People think I'm um, making a joke or trying to be funny when I say that my friends uh, wrote me into this uh, competition. Mm. 
because you win a, you win <laughs> someone that you can share your life with. But uh, my friends, uh, Ku and Renette Slia, they were you know, big fans of Bruce Kofro and they were introducing me into this thing by entering me without telling me. A few weeks later, I got a phone call from Bruce Kofro. <laughs> <laughs> you didn't meet your, your partner on this competition, but you do have someone in your life. And it's a very soppy story, but I like Bruce <laughs> and I, so tell us a bit about that. <laughs> I'll try to uh, do you justice. My uh, girlfriend now, uh, Jody, out there, she um, did write me a letter, but she didn't never sent it to Bursukovar. Not a lot of people know this. She obviously uh, gave me invite through Facebook, social media. We, there was a few of those people, um, and then, um, <laughs> and, then uh, <laughs> and then, and uh, then, all respect to them. I know they're also looking for a partner out there. And then um, I obviously talked to Jody now, and then we had our first date, and from there it became second date, and it was just a natural. Uh, you know, movement to each other. And then now she gave me a letter just before the end of last year that she actually s- didn't send me. And that just made me feel that, that this is where we should be. Aww. <laughs> 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 okay. But where is Byron in the next few years in terms of your business, in terms of you as a farmer um, and with your family and everyone else? I do have a five-year plan now, actually. Uh, I think i definitely look at myself in the next three years at least within three years or at three years, having a family in terms of uh, children and so on, being married. And then, um, so then that's the end of Buzuka Fro stuff. (laughs) (laughs) And then obviously having a plan in terms of the business, uh, because that is my identity now. I would say I am having to be one of the biggest producers in fresh tomatoes and herbs in the northern Cape Town area. Having a place where people can, a depot, a, a fruit and vegetable depot, where people can come and purchase their produce in the surrounding areas because that's something that's unfortunately lacking there. Engaging directly with the towns and the bordering areas of the of the big towns. Hmm. Thank you. That sounds like a really good plan. And I know that you will be successful in your ventures. I mean, looking at your career and what you've told us just in this few minutes, it's absolutely amazing. So all of the best with your ventures moving forward, Byron. Thank you very much, Dawn and Kubus, and uh, food for Mazanze. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. Well, Kubus, sound business advice from this young farmer. I know that I have learned a lot, and I know that many of our other farmers listening um, will too. Our next uh, episode I'm really excited about because it's Eugene Simmons. She actually went from an agricultural worker who was retrenched And she was inspired to start her own business and she is successful at it. She runs a nursery and her own agribusiness with that as well. Just a reminder to get free access to all the exclusive content on Farmers Inside Track. Head to farmersinsidetrack.co.za and sign up. Also, you can join the WhatsApp line. Just send a sign-up message saying sign up for Farmers Inside Track to 081 889-9032. It's completely free and it's a weekly roundup of all the news you need to know to help you be more successful as an up-and-coming farmer. Until next time, bye-bye. Bye-bye. You've been listening to the Farmers Inside Track podcast, supported by Food Form Zanzi. For more information, find us on www.farmersinsidetrack.co.za.